I want to begin by saying thank you. I'm sorry. I stand before you very grateful. Grateful for how you've stood beside us for the last 10 years, how you've carried us when we weren't able to walk, how you've rejoiced with us during the good times, just how you've been a part of our lives. You've meant a lot to us. I'm very grateful. Thank you. Develop, empower, and release has been our mandate with Reach Global. And I want to talk about the premise. We start with evangelism, sharing the good news with people. We help train leadership. And then the last part is we turn the work completely over to them. It's a good mandate. It's biblical. It's what Paul did. It's what Jesus did. A Mongolian will be 10 times more effective than myself in Mongolia at a tenth of the cost. And I think as we've thought about missions in the past, if we've sent out missionaries, I think our strategy has been one of addition. But by empowering and releasing mature nationals, their impact is greater. It's multiplication. By empowering and releasing these guys to train others to train others, what we've seen in Selang province is an explosion of the gospel. It has been an Acts 19 movement, meaning that it is not just one church plant of 60, but another church plant of 40 and 10, and the whole province is hearing about Jesus. It's a direct confrontation with Satan. What was his territory? Mongolia is an animistic place where they've been praying to spirits for centuries. And when you pray to something for that long, something will show up. Mongolia is just now coming into the light out of too long in the darkness. And our mandate is good, but it's easier said than done. Organizationally, we typically have not been doing it. It is a hard thing to work yourself out of a job. We formally wrote this strategy down in 2006, and we've been following the steps for us to physically leave the work and pass it on. And in 2006, when we wrote it down and we looked at it, I looked back and I was like, man, I am really smart, yeah? <laughs> but as the years progressed and it came to 2013, the realization that next year I don't have a job, I don't feel so smart anymore. It's difficult. I'm a guy. I define myself by the things that I do. I think that's typical for guys. And I've thought about this mandate a lot through the years. It seems pretty clear as we've been making this transition what it's really all about. It's about evangelism and discipleship and how we define these ideologies in our lives has a great impact not only on us, but on the people around us. The gospel lesson this week comes from the gospel of Mark, the 28th chapter, and we'll be reading verses 16 through 20. This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Jesus. Starting in verse 16. The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This text is develop, empower, and release. 
I want to look at this text this morning because it's Mission Sunday and we'll be talking about some of the work in Mongolia and our journey through Mongolia and my heart. But I want to clarify my heart this morning because I've been up here before talking about missions and evangelism and I think some people might have misunderstood me. I think some people naturally assume that I'm solely talking about other nations. No. I think some people think that because I'm a missionary, I'll focus on the word go in our text. No. I think one of the most damning criticisms of evangelical Christians is that they talk more about the Bible than they actually read it. And when we do read it, we tend to read a Bible within a Bible and we take proof texts and we use those texts to develop our theologies. And this text in particular, which has traditionally been called the Great Commission, is in my view one of those texts that has been used and misused in recent history of the church. To me, this text is the heart of develop, empower, and release. And I want to cut through some things this morning because I think we make a lot of different things in our faith really complicated when they're not that complicated in our faith journeys. We like definitions. We like to define things. I want to know what this means and that means and this means and I want to know the end. And I think as a church, and I mean big church here, big generalization, I think we almost approach the faith like we're trying a case. And no offense to any of you lawyers out here. But we've taken something really simple, simple and we've made it really complicated. Oh, I object. That's hearsay. It calls for speculation. We've filled up the faith with a bunch of jargon that we really do not understand anymore. What once helped us define who we are has taken on too many meanings. There's been a philosophical and personal relativism that has crept into the church. And a lot of the information that we're presenting to the world is simply irrelevant. That's part of our biggest problem as we relate to our culture and society. For many secularists, we have lost our relevance. We have lost our voice in the world because they do not understand what we're saying anymore. And neither do we. Two women are on a transcontinental balloon voyage. Their craft is engulfed by mist. Their compass has gone awry. Afraid of landing in the ocean, they drift for days. Suddenly, the clouds part to show a sunlit meadow below. As they descend, they see a man walking his dog. One of the flyers yells out to the figure below, Hey, where are we? The man yells back, about a half mile from town. Yeah, you get it, right? <laughs> All right. Once again, the balloonists are engulfed in the midst. The other flyer says to the person next to her, He must have been a lawyer, right? The other says, A lawyer, how do you know that? The first says that's easy. The information he gave us was accurate, concise, and entirely irrelevant. Okay? <laughs> no offense to you lawyers out there, but you knew when you signed up for that occupation, that's an occupational hazard, yeah? I understand. I'm a missionary. Nobody takes me seriously either. Okay? <laughs> so we're even. But let's get really simple this morning, okay? Let's define a couple of things. I want to define develop and power release, and I want to define evangelism and discipleship because to me, they're the same things, and let's roll with these ideas throughout, okay? So let's go to what traditionally we call evangelism. Let those of you who know tell those who don't. I think that's the simplest definition. It's our mandate. It should be our consuming passion, our urgency, and our tension. Those of you who know, go tell the people that don't. 
Simple, yeah? That's all I got. Let's stand for the benediction. Hey. <laughs> now, interestingly, the word evangelism is never used in the New Testament, at least not as people use it today. To many people, evangelism only means telling about Jesus, and that's it. That was never it in the New Testament. That was only the beginning of evangelism. Let's look at this Great Commission text, the evangelism text. There's only one verb in the Great Commission, and that verb is make disciples. That's the imperative. So all our English texts, our English translations, mislead us when they begin with the command, go. In the Greek, it's the present participle, which, strictly speaking, should be translated, therefore, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. The emphasis is not on the going. It's on the making of disciples. Many people today do not understand what it means to be a genuine Christian. There are multitudes that often follow Jesus or claim to be a Christian, but they do it on their own terms and not his. They do not understand the biblical definition of discipleship. My Pete was a little strong there, sorry. <laughs> okay, I want to explain the word disciple this morning, okay? The crux of this text. A disciple is a true follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, what we would call a Christian. If you are a Christian, you are a disciple. If you're not a disciple as Jesus defines it, then you are not a Christian. These two terms, disciple and Christian, mean the same thing in the same way that I mean the same thing when I speak of the Minnesota Vikings and major disappointment. Yeah? <laughs> they are true synonyms, naming the same thing. In fact, the term disciples occurs 269 times in the New Testament, while the term Christian only occurs three times. We find out in the books of Acts in 11.26, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And this makes it real clear that the terms are interchangeable. And I want to be clear about this because I believe this greatly clarifies the seriousness of what Jesus is saying. So let's go back to our roots, the beginning of what we call evangelism. Evangelism today is rooted in a misunderstanding of salvation. People have been told they are Christians because they have confessed that they believe that Jesus died for their sins. That's true. But the total package is presented in such a way that it leaves the general life untouched. It's a one-time prayer that is primarily focused on future salvation. I'm going to heaven. You're going to heaven. Everything is good. I'm okay. You're so-so. Right? Biblically, salvation means deliverance. But deliverance from what? The common message that we give the world is deliverance from guilt. But the full concept of salvation in the New Testament is deliverance from present sin. Deliverance from sin comes from the new life of God's kingdom when we place our confidence in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The problem is that we've been obsessed with this idea of just getting to heaven and we're done. We have taken discipleship out of the conversation. We have taken discipleship out of conversion. In today's presentation on the gospel, Jesus' death is primarily presented as a ransom that deals with guilt and the effects of guilt regarding our standing before God. But there is much more to life than guilt. Once you've been forgiven, you still have to live. Jesus is about the redemption of actual life from actual sin. 
Faith in the living Christ raises us above merely being delivered from the consequences of sin, and we need a doctrine not just of justification, but of regeneration. We need a picture of our life in God that does not leave most of our life untouched. What has happened today is that we have reduced salvation to justification. We've reduced the saving work to Christ to Christ and his death on the cross, which is important, but it's not the only thing. Christ rose from the dead. Our life is in the resurrected Christ. Where is he in this scenario? What place does he have in this scenario when it's just guilt? None. That is not what Christ meant by life in the new kingdom. And the leading assumption in the North American church is that you can be a Christian but not a disciple. And this has placed a tremendous burden on the mass of Christians that are in the church and are not disciples. We tell them, come to church, listen to the sermon, be a part of the program, go to the Bible study, give money. But we see a church that knows nothing of commitment. We have settled for the marginal. And it's the last thing we should have done. We have left this awful burden of trying to motivate people to do something that they really don't want to do or don't even really understand, and we cannot think of the church like that anymore. We need to be real clear in our heads what discipleship is. A disciple is someone who's decided the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do and do it every day. A disciple is not necessarily a person who has everything under control or knows a lot of things. A disciple is someone who constantly, humbly commits themselves to Christ. I think this is the strategy behind develop, empower, and release. And I think the best strategy for this is to first be vulnerable, and then second, be vulnerable and intentional, and the second is to be excellent. Mr. Swindoll, several years back, gave an illustration that had a great impact on me. He did a study, and I'm not sure how he validated it or what he did there, but he's Swindoll, so he can say anything as far as I'm concerned. He gave a study, and he talked about how after someone comes to Christ, it only takes three years for that person to lose contact with all of their non-believing friends. We need to intentionally put ourselves in context where we know we will come in contact with the lost. It doesn't just happen. Left to our own devices, we will end up with friends that look and think like us, other Christians, and the danger here is complacency. Do not waste your one God-given life pursuing the things that do not matter to God. Pursue those who don't know him. Have his breaking heart for those who are lost. Be deliberate, be uncomfortable, be scared. And when you're overwhelmed and you know you're in over your head, give it back to God. God, this is yours. Take it from me. Thank you for the privilege of serving your kingdom in this really cool way. I'm uneasy. There's a tension. I don't know how to make the distinction between evangelism and discipleship. I think what we traditionally call evangelism is nothing more than soul winning, and it stops there. It operates according to a model of providing goods and services that have nothing to do with Christ's likeness. There are many countries around the world where it's okay to be a Christian, but you can't persuade someone else to be a Christian. 
In fact, it's against the law. And as many of you remember, last time YZ came to Mongolia, we got in a little bit of trouble because we were evangelizing. My family's passport were confiscated. We were threatened to be kicked out of the country. They threatened to shut down Aruna and Inke and the work that they were doing with the development center. They came to the short-termers. They took everybody's passports. There was mention of jail. They were going to be blacklisted. They were going to be delayed getting back to America. It was very stressful. It was very tension-filled. It was, in the end, a four-day battle. And bless the people that came from Wayzata. Just bless them. They were all soldiers. They all stood up very well. They had peace and joy in the midst of this. There was only a few people that really broke down and were crying like babies. And I won't mention any names, but um, you guys know Dick Augustine, right? (laughs) You only tease people that you love. And I'll take this just tangent, this aside. Dick, thank you very much. I could not have done Mongolia without you. You mean the world to me. Here's the point of this illustration, because when this happened, and it was a long, it wasn't just over like that. We were, Aruna and I were going with lots of meetings. We were meeting with just about everybody in government. And there were th- the immigration was just threatening us over and over. And my initial reaction was, okay, why is in trouble? We could be kicked out. Let's just back off. Let's just stop, okay? But I learned something from my Mongolian counterparts about discipleship, because they said no. We have to continue on, George, because Mongolians are convinced that you can't be a Christian unless you evangelize. So we didn't quit. We kept going, and we kept doing it, because the Mongolians say that the two go together. If you do not evangelize, you are not a Christian. They would say that those in the church that who, who are not disciple-making or evangelizing are not really Christians, at least as far as the New Testament definition is concerned. So the first strategy is be deliberate, live intentionally, and then secondly, be excellent. Be a disciple yourself. How? We have it right in the text. All that I taught you. Well, what did he teach us? You really want to know God's heart? Want to know how to live? Go to the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes tell us what our character should should look like. Jesus talks about the law and application to life and the preparation for the future. Jesus gave a sermon. And in it, he said, this is what I think is important. Jesus talks about sharing our possessions with the poor and the underprivileged, seeking for others what we seek for ourselves. And he says, if you only like your friends and do good things for your friends, how different are you from the pagans? Because that's what they do. You show the difference by seeking the best for those who are opposed to you, who curse you. That is the distinctiveness of the disciple community. If we are not eager to discover what Jesus teaches concerning discipleship then, and to practice it in our daily lives, how can we invite others into the community to be disciples? That's the logic of this text that we looked at. Jesus defines discipleship as obeying everything that he's taught us. In other words, not picking and choosing what's convenient for us to obey, not making priorities because Jesus does not use that language. It's very comprehensive. Obey everything I've taught you. That's the definition of discipleship. Jesus expects the church, which is out there in the world, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the nations, to the world. 
The disciples also engaged in costly peacemaking initiatives between peoples. The disciples engaged in the pursuit of justice for the poor and the oppressed. The disciples engaged in sharing his or her her resources with the needy, the underprivileged. And the disciple is seeking to love those who have persecuted them, who have persecuted the church, and looking for ways to bless those people. This is a very holistic understanding of the church's engagement of the world. as directly from the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Develop, empower, release. Evangelism, discipleship, Christianity. Teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you to obey. And finally, we come to the end of this text and the final promise, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus promises his empowering spirit, his presence to the church if we are willing to obey him. And this is not a promise that we can take out of context. It's a promise that we can claim if we are seeking to obey Jesus to be his disciples, invite others to be his disciples with us. Do not compartmentalize your faith. Do not tell Jesus that there are areas of your life that he cannot have. Invite Jesus into everything. And surely he will be with you always. So notice what comprehensive text this is. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, make disciples of all peoples, teaching them to obey everything I have taught you, and I am with you always. Last thing I want to say. Mongolia has simplified my faith. Things that seemed very important to me before we left don't seem that important anymore. The good news is simple. Our mandate is easy to understand. And if you're older in the faith like me, I think the tendency is to think that we have it all figured out. That's a mistake. If you've been a disciple for over a decade or two or three or four, find someone to challenge you. You need non-believing friends. Start spending your time with a new believer. Do not have everything figured out because, trust me, you and I are not that smart. Rely on God in such a way that you have no choice but to rely on Him. Do something so outrageous that you have no choice but to fall on your face before Him. The faith is not a one-time prayer and then you have it all figured out. The great men and women of faith had tension. They were never stagnant. And here is the key, the absolute key. Discipleship should always involve something new. That's the release part. Release those who you trained. Don't be the man who would be king or do the apocalypse now thing where you're the expert in everything. If you release people who have become disciples under your watch, you should be making new disciples. That's what Paul did. There's a lot of insecurity in this. But do not be comfortable. Train someone else to do your ministry and then move on. Find new people. Constantly seek the lost, make disciples, and then trust them to make other disciples. I've learned a lot about my faith from our Mongolian counterparts. They're new believers. They've taught me about passion and commitment and discipleship. Our mandate in Mongolia was to develop, empower, and release, and God has been very good to us. He planted his church in a place where there was no church. He brought these awesome people into our lives, and I've watched them sacrifice for Christ. 
I've watched them choose us over their own culture. They protected and served with us, and it's been my privilege to serve side by side with them in the kingdom of God. And we are forever forged in eternity. And you heard they're doing it. Ten new believers. For them, every Sunday is Mission Sunday. Every Sunday is Outreach Sunday. And I just stand before you, and I'm very grateful. And it's been an honor and a privilege to serve Wyzetta in this way. And it's been an honor and privilege to serve with my Mongolian brothers and sisters. And I just want to conclude by saying thank you from the bottom of my heart.